From Seven CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruyne, and you're in the CTO studio. Hi, and welcome back to the CTO studio. My name is Nikolai Walker. So in our final installment here, this is part three of our conversation with uh, Etienne De Bruyne and Michael Snoyman, VP Engineering at FP Complete. Michael and Etienne continue their conversation about scaling your infrastructure, and they continue here with the three steps that you can follow to move your infrastructure towards an auto-scaled environment. They also get into Terraform, cloud formation, and other tools for you to explore. So CTO is, is under duress or is preparing for uh, future success. Uh, first step you mentioned is make sure that we're dockerized so that there's a recipe, uh, there's, there's dependency definition, all that stuff is done inside of the dockerizing process. What would be the second step? Second step would be to move over to a clear CI CD pipeline. Continuous integration would probably depend directly on that dockerizing step. Being able to run that Docker script, Docker file, be able to run that thing, produce the artifact, start hosting the artifact, You'll always end up running into some fun issues around a funny concept called Docker and Docker, or which is how exactly do you run a Docker command inside a Docker container, which is far more complicated than it should be. Uh, there, there are still many, many paper cuts that we're getting in this world. I look forward to the, you know, the universe 15 years from now when all these things are the th a thing of the past, but it still exists today. I'll give you, so to give you a concrete example, oftentimes what I'll end up doing in a pipeline that's using a compiled application is I'll use Docker in order to build uh, the compiled application. That way I get all of the build tooling that I need. I get the dependencies pre-built. I don't have to compile all of those on the CI system. I'm able to get a fast CI build because that's definitely one of the bottlenecks to a dev team. Uh, so we get that fast kind of turnaround, but now from inside the Docker image that has all those uh, tools, now I have to run a command called Docker build in order to produce the image. And Docker doesn't like that by default. You, you can't really run a Docker daemon inside a Docker container. Instead, you have to you know, build a wormhole and talk to the Docker daemon that's sitting on the host OS. And there's security implications, a lot, uh, to be completely fair, there are a lot of security implications around Docker that haven't been fully thought out yet and haven't really been addressed. In many cases, we're simply trusting, trusting that the uh, applications running inside the container are behaving themselves. Um, step number one, work on dockerizing. Uh, step number two is build that CI CD pipeline. Step number three. Step number three is to build a full on staging environment that represents all the features that you want. So in this case, we're probably looking at auto scaling being the number one feature given, you know, given the, the crises that most of these companies are facing right now, the ability to quickly ramp up the number of machines. Uh, you want to codify these things. You want to be using things like Terraform, other kinds of tools. CloudFormation is another great tool. Azure these days is providing command line tooling that really automates a lot of this. It is possible to build up a nice piece of infrastructure using the cloud consoles. 
Uh, and it's very tempting to do so, and it, that can actually be a great way to explore. But when it comes to building your staging environment, you really need to codify it because you need to make sure you can rebuild an identical environment at will. If you're not able to do that, you can end up in a situation where you make a mistake creating the production environment, where someone accidentally deletes the production environment. That's happened before. You don't want to be sitting in a, in a world where you have to go dig up some scripts that someone, you know, some uh, notes that someone wrote, wrote in a Word file and emailed to someone else on the team. You don't want to be doing that at 3 a.m. Okay, so then I'm assuming after staging comes production or, or what? Yep, staging, full testing, full QA, and now you're really ready to start moving things over to production. Uh, hopefully, if you've done things correctly, this is uh, going to go relatively easily. Uh, you can do this in a staged manner. You can start sharding some of your traffic over using a load balancer. Uh, assuming that your existing system is already set up in a way that's going to allow that to happen. Uh, but, you know, if you're, if, for example, you're already using Amazon and you already, you'd set up a few EC2 instances by hand, that's the way you've been building things up. You've got a load balancer sitting in front of it. You do have a possibility to be able to have that load balancer start sending some of the traffic over to your new cluster. Now, where does, is that it? Are those the four steps? I'd say those, are, yeah, those are the four. And, and, you know, and there's a lot of praying involved. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of bleeding. All those things exist. But, you know, in an ideal world, yeah, those are the four steps. Now, in the interest, really, um, and this might be a little bit philosophical, but uh, so I have two questions. Where does Kubernetes fit into all of this? And two, should engineering teams be doing this as a discipline uh, integrated into their workflow as a discipline or is it so complicated that devops shops should get should get involved those are two gr really good questions and they tie in very nicely together let's start off with where does kubernetes fit into all this Kubernetes, uh, so let's say you're building out that staging cluster. You're trying to de design something which is going to auto-scale, and it's going to route traffic in the right ways, and it's going to have resource limits, and it's going to have alerting, and it's going to aggregate the logs, and all the typical things that you would want to have in a cluster. You can build that with many different systems that exist already. Uh, you know, We did it eight years ago on Amazon. You can do that with an auto-scaling group and a load balancer, security groups, you can start throwing in CloudWatch. You can add in something like, you can add in a log aggregation system, Elk Stack, for example. And you can do that all by hand. Or you can move over to something like Kubernetes. And Kubernetes doesn't solve all of those problems, but it solves many of those problems. And it does it in a consistent way. And it's providing a consistent interface that devs are able to understand. And that's where we start getting into that question of, do you have a dedicated DevOps team or do you have that integrated team? The promise of DevOps is to be able to bring everyone together. And this idea of containerizing, dockerizing, that already does one step of this. Now at least the dev team and the ops team are looking at the same kind of artifacts. When it comes to 
Kubernetes, one of the really cool things it's been able to do is give us these YAML files, these configuration files that represent all the information we need to know about how to deploy a system. Okay, well, this is the Docker image that I need. These are the command line arguments I'm going to pass in. Here are the environment variables. Oh, I need to have, I need to have this database token available as an environment variable. All those kinds of things now have to get written down all over again. And this is a great integration point between the ops team and the dev team. In many cases, it's not realistic to expect that the dev team is going to become full experts in how to craft these manifest files. And they are going to need guidance, but it's a common language that ops and dev are able to speak together. The point at which I'd say it doesn't make sense to really try to train dev and bring de dev into the process is the management of that cluster itself. At this point, managing a Kubernetes cluster is still quite a bit of work and getting all those various pieces to talk to each other correctly, to get it to tie into monitoring and logging, just as one example. Those are non-trivial operations and that really requires dedicated expertise in order to make it work. That's actually quite a bit of the work that we end up doing uh, at FP Complete is working on those kinds of systems. That concludes this segment. Thank you again for being with me here in the CTO studio today. If you need more CTO studio content, please subscribe to the show, which should come out every week. And if you want more, we'll give you more. If you want less, we'll give you less. But the point is, we'll give you what you want. Thank you again very, very much to Michael with FP Complete. Please go over and check out fpcomplete.com. And as always, thank you to Etienne de Bruin with 7CTOs. And do go check out 7CTOs.com. Until next time, I'm Nikolai Walker.